What's up, my meme queens? What's up, my neckbeards? Uh, all of my hateful trolls and edgelords. Welcome to Time is a Flat Circle. I look at how humans keep getting it wrong. I'm your host, Joseph, the youngest, and I'm here with my brother, Adrian. What up, what up? This is Adrian recording live from Dallas in my attic, as usual. I'll go ahead and throw it over to uh, my man, Hondo, who's uh, flexing right now. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's your boy, Hondo, with your daily macro intake for all things interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to having another good podcast with my homies. Um, I'll go ahead and pass it over uh, to the last one of the group since uh, he who shall not be named is no longer with us. Um, but I'll pass it over to uh, our good friend, Andre. Uh, I am going to clarify, no one's died for everybody listening. <laughs> He's just not here anymore. Um, no, he's been, dead to us, Andre. He's dead to us. They've been canceled. <laughs> it's as good as dying. His his Twitter Hash, was revoked. <laughs> no, that's all I got. Go ahead, Justin. <laughs> great, great interest. Great interest. All right, so we're back again, and we're coming hard at the orphan archetype. Very unprepared. We uh, decided to consume a few pieces of media that none of us seem to have remembered immediately after the episode ended last week. So let's just dive in and, and talk about how we got it wrong this time. We're the humans that got it wrong. Uh, we we're getting into the orphan archetype, what it means, what it looks like, how it is portrayed in modern media. And we came up with a few examples that we wanted to dive into. We probably still can just because uh, we ran across a very interesting revelation from our big brother Andre about his media intake and how uh, just kind of questionable it is. Um, one of the things we were going to talk about was Warcraft. And I don't even want to get into anything before asking you, Andre, how did you see this movie so many times? And, wait, wait, and first let's explain- clarify, how many times have you seen the movie, Andre? So I, I would, if I had to estimate, probably about a dozen. The fact that you have to estimate it is already so telling in and of itself. But I don't even have a follow-up question. Just expound, I guess. <laughs> I guess my question: so, Why? <laughs> I saw the original trailer way back when. When when was this movie released? Twenty sixteen. Okay, that, that is a lot of times in a couple of years. Um, I saw the original trailer way back when, and was really excited because I'm a huge like original. 8-bit Warcraft fan and to the point where like I would port it over on PCs that I owned up until like a couple of years ago and very excited like to see it go down haven't kept up with any of the advanced story as far as like World of Warcraft and what's going on there uh, and then never ever went to go see it in theaters so you've seen all of these viewings at your home yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's even weirder, man. That's even weirder. <laughs> okay, now, now I have another question. How how have you obtained the streaming of this? Did you buy it individual times or did you rent it multiple times? No, I really think I rented well, at one point it was on like HBO and I think that's where I watched it first. And then um I've definitely rented it since then. I always legally pay for it because I want them to know this is content that I am interested in. <laughs> okay okay already pretty crazy what studio even put this out like who paid money to put this put this together and then like right 
that it would kind of make sense. I, like just the con- the country of China. Because <laughs> um, I feel like m- marketing was weird for this movie. I definitely remember hearing about it. I don't remember ever seeing it as a movie that you could watch in a theater but I do remember the movie uh, in its in its in its marketing stage. But I think it was just terribly marketed. It looked like a trailer. It looked about as good as the trailers for the expansion packs for World of Warcraft. So just so you're aware, it was Universal Pictures. Wow. Okay. All right. And I can right. remember was- sharing the trailer because this came out on June 12, 2016. I can remember sharing the trailer months out and being like. Who's going with me for my birthday? And then never seeing it in theaters. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember it being actually showing in any theaters room. That's not something that <sighs> I went to a movie and then saw. Okay, I can see this movie instead. So, so quick correction on on Andre's. Uh, it was Universal Pictures uh, comment. So it was actually produced by Blizzard Entertainment itself. And then yes. Universal ended up buying the distribution rights. Wow. Okay, that's even weirder. So a video Another game company made the movie. Another interesting fun fact. The film has grossed $433 million worldwide, surpassing Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, as the highest grossing <laughs> video game adaptation of all time. Oh, man. <laughs> Although it was still that considered a financial disappointment. <laughs> But not a not a critical disappointment, just financial. That I don't know. We let's keep going. Well, here's the plot. We're gonna skip over the cast. Was there anybody noted? Well, this was all CGI, right? Or was there actual people acting in it? <clears throat> I think the people are people, but like all of the orcs, yeah. Okay. Is there anybody no, they famous got, they or relatively well known? There are a. Co- I'm glad you mentioned that. Because I didn't realize it was him until Adrian said something last week when we were talking about this. Mm-hmm. But the guy who plays uh, Johnny Quid Johnny Quid in Rock and Rolla is the is the like main orc character. Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> and I feel like that's why I love this movie because I'll watch anything he's in, and I didn't even realize it was him. Is Sean Bean in it? <laughs> ben Foster. <laughs> ben Foster's in it. Yeah, Ben Foster's in it. He's someone I like. Okay, now I want to now I want to see this movie. Should have been last week's podcast like this. So I guess okay, Andre, since you're the only one who has intimate knowledge of this, uh, can you? Is there a tie to orphans? That's what I wanted to ask. Yeah. What we were talking about was how, uh, like, millennials we could be classified as like an orphan generation because a lot of times the workplace is that gap between boomers and us that wasn't really filled by Gen Xers. And I think the way I relayed this last week, which was strange because none of us were drinking and we all bought it, uh, was that the, the orcs are the orphans of that series. And that they're kind of like outcasts, but they take what they're given and they do something with it. Okay. So it's less of a individual individual story of an orphan and more of a general story of orphanage of a eh, okay. I can stretch that to fit. Yeah, it's a big stretch. Can, yeah, yeah. Man, I don't even know 
any movie that I've seen that many times, let alone a movie <laughs> that no one else has seen. I think I've seen The Rock that many times. The, the Sean Connery movie? Yeah. Yeah. The well, Nick Cage amazing movie. movie. The Nick Cage like, movie. I, <laughs> I am such a movie guy, though, that I love watching movies. Like, it's what I do when my spare time is, oh, let me just put a movie on. Like, I've seen Fast 7 probably almost 20 times at this point. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's something we're going to have to revisit. I think in, an, in another episode devoted entirely to your media consumption habits. <laughs> okay, so passing that point, what other pieces of media did we agree to consume and then maybe didn't do that? Um, Kung Fu Panda was one. What's everyone's recollection of that movie? So from what I remember, I, I think there was a, he was the supposed son of like a crane that was like a cook and he was basically like a waiter. And then he finds out he's actually the chosen one, but then he sucks at all these training things, like the traditional way that they get trained. And then somehow he realizes, Hey, like, I'm my own person. I need to do things my way. And by accepting that, doesn't he end up being like the golden panda or something crazy like that? And like his belly just keeps on like beating the the main villain at the end. <laughs> he basically just like belly flops the, the villain to oblivion. Well, he learns the whooshy. What is it? Whooshy finger. What was the, the ultimate special move that he learned? Oh yeah, the, the yeah, I, where it makes like the noise and then like the there's like the sonic boom that comes after it. Yeah, yeah, and it goes just by bending his pinky at the very end. <laughs> the way you're describing it, the action half of the movie is pretty much the plot of that SpongeBob ep- episode where he's like gonna fight that bully or very terrified of fighting that bully, and then he realizes that the punches don't hurt, <laughs> and that just tires. It's also now that I'm thinking about the exact same plot from when Homer decides to be a boxer and he just wears the other boxers out by getting punched a lot. <laughs> oh, uh, but yeah, I say, what's no, the opposite ahead. of a of a glass jaw? I don't know. A Daredevil's dad. <laughs> no, I well, I, I just wondering like what the the name of that. <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. called. <laughs> it's also dare the the plot plot line of Daredevil's dad's life. So, man, that that story is retold a lot of times, huh? I think. I mean, that may be an archetype in and of itself. I, I do think, like, uh, if I'm trying to relate it back to what we're supposed to be talking to, like when he finds out that the crane isn't like his real dad, he kind of has like a, a crisis of identity, and. Even more so once he like realizes he's supposed to be the chosen one, and he's trying to do thing all these things like the way people tell him to. I guess is at least how I remember it. And then until he finally accepts, like, "Hey, I'm different. This is how like I need to do it." Does he finally like end up becoming who he's meant to be? Uh, so that's I think that- that's definitely something that we talked about as a uh, advantage of being an orphan is that you don't have those pre uh, prescribed notions of what is and isn't 
or the right way to do things or the wrong way to do things. You kind of see things uh, in a in a pretty fresh sense, no matter what the scenario is or or what your um, surrogate parents tell you, because you don't have that attachment to them, um, even though you you can be attached. Obviously, like in Kung Fu Panda, uh, Poe. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Poe. Um, was really really attached to his surrogate crane father, um, thinking that he was his real dad. And I'm not sure if that's the case. He might have like always kind of known that he wasn't his real dad. Could be. And my bad. The crane is actually one of his like mentors, like one of the masters. His dad is a oh, goose. It's a goose. Yeah. Yeah. A goose. Yeah. 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 That They're both birds, stumbling. though. So like you were close. <laughs> I mean. That's just racist. <laughs> is it is it birdist? Was it foul of me? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I do want to uh, okay. bring this back around to uh, Warcraft though, and it's twenty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes that it currently has. That's wow. twenty eight percent more than I thought it would be, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so getting into that idea for, I know what we talked about, like why we what we brought up Kung Fu Panda, or maybe I think it might have been me. Um, why I brought it up was um, because of the instance of orphanage with realization later in life, like as an adult, uh, an adult coming to terms with the the orphanage aspect that they had been given as a uh, a child before even um, starting to build their identity or personality. Versus someone who builds their identity or personality um, as a normal construct that that everyone can relate to, just being a child with their their own parents, and then having that taken away. So that's um, I, th- I think that's recognized pretty well. They did a, a really good job. Honestly, the only thing I can think of when watching that movie is did Dustin Hoffman throughout the entirety of recording the voice for this movie, just constantly think I was in the graduate. Like <laughs> this is me now. I was in the graduate. <laughs> I, I mean, I think actors like that have fun with, with, uh, these type of silly roles. He definitely had fun with it, but he took it extremely seriously too. Like he's, he's as, uh, into it as any other role. I, I don't know. It just seemed like, he was given his all. I don't know if Jack Black ever doesn't give his all, but it was probably a, a, a good movie because of Dustin Hoffman's role in it. I mean, Jack Black. Yeah, but you throw Jack Black in anything and he's going to make it over the top. It might not be good, though. True. Okay, so, so getting into me, who did Dustin Hoffman play? He was like the master. He's the master. Of masters. Okay. And that that gets into the other idea. So, um, is the the advantage of a, an orphan that they get to collect parental figures or mentors easier than, uh, say, someone with their parents could. So, like, because you get to pick, essentially, is that a better option than having one defined for you? 
Well, I don't even think it's the definition of it. It's the fact that you can get as many as you want. Like, you can take the best out of a bunch of different parental figures as opposed to be stuck with the parental figures that you grew up with and then kind of just base everything on those ideas and what was instilled in you as a child. So, like, look at Batman. He's still just his parents' son. He doesn't really gain any other mentors that don't crumble upon any kind of test. Uh, he's 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 looking for that, I think, in a lot of the stories that, that are told about him, but he never really finds the replacement for his dad, definitely. And his mom is kind of a weird one. I mean, Martha. <laughs> Well, I mean, that not that like uh, the story or like why the orphan archetype is so so strong? Like when you think about it, it's like you just mentioned like no one stands up to the test and they all end up kind of crumbling in terms of when he really like needs to lean on them or when he begins to trust them or something. Like in the, the Christopher Nolan one, when he trusts Ra's al Ghul and ends up being like, mm-hmm. well, no, he's, he's actually a bad guy. Well, I mean, to a, a much less extreme extent, I mean, that's kind of what we were talking about last week in regards to, like, as a, an orphan archetype story, like, you, you're, um, your parents are the first role models, but they never stand up to the test either. But it almost goes into the, that idea you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. So is the best version of... Uh, parents, the ones that die in your formative years before they become something. That- <laughs> oh my god! Like, so, so, they got really out of hand there. <laughs> what's the? I'm, I'm not saying. I'm okay. Yes. All right. Joseph, are you trying to murder your parents? That. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying like, what is the most? What's what's the most uh, advantageous position to be in? I'm not saying like. Mentally, well, obviously, or, having your parents as long as possible, <laughs> like. <that's, laughs> but is that the case? Because, yeah. like you said, like if you if you have them as long as possible, then you see them kind of crumble and fall uh, in your eyes when you thought that they were that's, superheroes. I, but that's like a like a a normal and healthy experience to have because then you like you realize you have to be better, and then you work to be better, and then your kid ends up being doing the same thing. Like that, kind of how like civilization civilization is built. If you always have these idolized versions, all you end up doing is having self loathing. You know, like you think there's these perfect people before you, and you know that all the faults you have, and then uh, all you end up doing is hating yourself. So is it so the I worst? Do, so is go ahead. I do want to disagree with something Adrian said earlier, which was that like. I don't know if he said everybody, but he gets led down by these people in his life. And if we're talking about that Christopher Nolan series, like in the third one, everybody delivers like Catwoman comes back and helps out. Gordon is always Commissioner Gordon, who just like constantly delivers. And I feel like that's maybe not necessarily the father figure, but it's the example of it in the story. Hey, Gordon's definitely like a father proxy. It's not a mentor-mentee relationship, though, which I, I think is is somewhat significant in terms of uh, 
proxy for a parental relationship. Well, I mean, um, to, to me, and like going back to the point I just had, what, wouldn't that be like what the healthy relationship turns into after you accept the fact that like he's a human with his own faults? Like then now, now you're like peers and friends and there's mutual respect. Yeah. And uh, there's also a sense of like, hey, I'm going to do do better so I can do right by you. You know, like he's always trying to. So where does where does Alfred fall into that that spectrum? Because that's kind of a weird one that that transforms throughout Honestly, his his like life. Alfred is his mother. I was just going to say that. Yeah, I mean, it's the healthy relationship you have with the mother after you've gone through that process. So taking it back all the way to Kung Fu Panda, is that a better version than of? what we see happening with someone like Bruce Wayne, Batman, where he doesn't even have that context to lean on or develop what his views about what parental figures should be. And he can just very easily go from one to another mentor mentee relationship, pick the best things out of all of them, feel as attached to them as he would anyone else, but not ever have that, um, unquestionable, I guess, irrational attachment to someone outside of himself. I mean, he doesn't he have it with like uh, his dad and then the uh, Dustin Hoffman character, and that's kind of like the the mom and the dad, and he goes through the basically the same story arc we just described with Batman. But he's seeing, but I think he's seeing it in a way that is easier for him to identify that they're not perfect. Like he doesn't have to have that image of them shattered. He already knows it from the beginning. I don't, does he? I feel like he's trying think, to live up to Shifu's... I think that's the name of Dustin Hoffman's yep, character. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you got that yeah. one right. Yep. Uh, I think he's trying to live up to like his standard and try and do things the right way. What he is being told is the right way. I'm just it's, making some faces. Like yeah. yeah, I'm just making some faces though. I'm, I, I kind of don't feel like they're comparable and then maybe I'm looking at this in hindsight is because Kung Fu Panda left with, with the stated goal and a sense of accomplishment at the end. Like he became the master. He understood who he was. He like essentially embraced his character. And I don't know if you can compare that to Bruce Wayne and Batman because Batman never truly embraces who he is, right? Like he's always trying to find, like he accepts what happens, but he never truly all right, let me rephrase that. He knows what happens, but he never truly gets over it, right? And I think that Kung Fu Panda took that step of, hey, I know who I am, I accept who I am, and I'm going to use that to my advantage to become something greater than what I once was. Bruce Wayne is sad and bitter all the time, and he never truly gets over his that defining moment of his, so I, I don't know that you can necessarily equate the two. Like, I, I think one... Is that a... Is that a... Not a problem, but is that an... If is that a consequence of the medium? Like with the movie, you, you get to finish the story in two and a half hours with the comic books. Like you can't, you can't reach that final conclusion unless he kills the Joker and then the story ends. Yeah. But even then it's, well, you kind of create a paradox there, right? Because one of the key staple, or at least before Batman for Superman came out, um, one of the key podiums behind his character was that he doesn't kill, right? So you create that paradox of like, I have to get rid of somebody in order to truly accomplish my goal, but I can't accomplish my goal by getting rid of them the way that I need to. 
So it's yeah, what Heath Ledger Fu says kills. Dark Knight, like. Again, Andre? Sorry, I didn't catch that. Oh, it's exactly what Heath Ledger says in Dark Knight. When an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Like, he refuses to cross that line until Batman versus Superman. <laughs> I like how we have to add, keep adding that annotation. The footnote. I was like, ruined everything. <laughs> is Joker... Uh, what relationship is Joker to... Batman then sibling no I think it's more like the shadow it's like a, everything that you're unwilling to accept is actually a part of you yeah I think that's why um the the Batman who laughs is like so popular with uh everyone now I mean have you guys read that story arc in the DC yeah, joke yeah, well, I think that's it. It's like the, the one. one... They, it ends with him laughing. No, 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 no. no, no. So this is like this weird. Uh, Go ahead. He's like in a BDSM suit, and he's got like uh, rivets well, over his eyes. Body. And yeah, so, uh, so the story arc kind of goes like a. There's a. I forget exactly what starts it off but there's basically a whole bunch of other dimensions uh it's like a multiverse situation but in several of them there there have been uh i guess batmans that have taken the wrong turn uh so there's like a a batman that's just like a basically like a cold-blooded killer there's a, a batman that um had to fight superman who had turned bad so then he ends up uh, kind of mutating himself and he's almost like a doomsday mixed with batman um, so there's all these different Batmans, but like the one that's the most popular is one where I think the Joker finally got to him and he ends up be- basically becoming like a Joker version of Batman. So he's like got the Joker face, the Batman cowl, like these crazy rivets over his eyes. Um, and then he has a whole bunch of like these feral, like a uh, mutant Robins that like or like basically gremlins that just go and eat people. Oh, is that the one where he? Uh, sorry, y'all call it the riblets. Is that the one where he has the visor? Yeah, right like the metal, it, yeah. metal spiky oh, visor. Okay. Yeah. Metal Batman. Okay, yeah. Now I know. Okay, but that's also kind of in line with. Is that just every version of what could come from any person? Dealing with the fact of orphanage from being ripped from the, I guess, normal chain of events of having parents that they can see go through that progression of are there, are infallible, and then are peers. Like all of that stuff, is that, is that, is that just different? Like are, are the reasons those is the reason those ideas of Batman are so popular because they're all different versions of what could happen. Yeah. I mean, but I think he's the most popular because that's like the, I mean, at the end of the day, that's basically the, the best reflection of like the, like the most extreme version of who everyone is. Like it's a little bit of the dark and a little bit of the light. 
Yeah, and I think you get to see you get to see the character in a way that because when you look at Batman, I mean, he's so strict with his code. He's so strict by his morals and his sense of justice that uh, you know what you're getting. So you start having those questions of like, oh, well, what if he decided to go a little more extreme? What if he he constantly ref- constantly refers to I can't cross that line because then I'll never come back. Well, by nature, you start having those thoughts of, well, what happens if he does cross that line? And it gives you that opportunity to explore those different multiverses where you see the same character, but with a different concept of what the, by redefining those lines, you create the same character, but in a different way. And you're essentially watching a whole new character. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's weird trying to tie it back into like that, that, that aspect of, of orphanages. It, it makes it, I don't know. It makes it pretty, pretty real. Like it's, it's hard for me to see and y'all can very easily correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't recall uh, something as terrible as like a mass murder or a school shooting or something like that happening from a kid that was an orphan. Which is what I think like the Batman who laughs is the Batman that some kid who does want to shoot up a school is really attracted to, but for the wrong reasons, because a kid that would go through being an orphan and, and uh, having those trials and tribulations and becoming just kind of an extreme version of themselves wouldn't ever think to do something that heinous. Well, I mean, in that, I guess in that storyline, he also ends up experiencing like some real like mental trauma. I mean, it's not like the Joker yeah, no, doing no, something it's like in terms of like, oh yeah, it's the, the gas or the acid or whatever that makes you go crazy. It's like he actually like breaks Batman by, I think like killing Robin or something um, in an even more extreme way than the, the last time. It makes you think about Damien being uh, not an orphan and just a mess. <laughs> I mean, he's an interesting character too, because like he's like in, in terms of the archetypes, like he he's experienced that. Like he he knows his dad is like crazy because he has all these rules and is basically a, like a a prisoner of his own like morals. And then he's got a crazy assassin mom and a crazy supervillain grandpa like uh, he knows no one's perfect so he's kind of gone through that whole uh i guess mental orphaned state very early in his life but at the same time is the complete opposite because he has people that really care about him (laughs) like everyone in his life really cares about him which is interesting i guess that's 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 a good spectrum right there is Kung Fu Panda, Batman, and Damian Wayne. Wait, I guess in, in the uh in light of well DC, I mean a movie that I just saw was Aquaman. And I feel like that that's a orphan storyline. That's uh, it it definitely is, but it seems like it's kind of lazily done like it's 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 well that and he knew his dad the whole time i was talking about his mom like I, 
<laughs> you don't have to have both of them die, right? Like, okay, I'm like, I'm, maybe I'm looking at it too literal. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure he had his no. dad in the movie. And I'm thinking the same along the same lines of Andre's wild assumption that Warcraft is a movie about orphans. Is uh, he's kind of a he's kind of an orphan of Atlantis. Like he's a he's a orphan of his own world. He's just completely cut off, and he has to deal with that identity being taken away from him um, or not even been taken away. It, it's never given to him. So there's a lot there, but at the same time, going to do it again. I'm going to bring it back to Iron Man. I feel like Iron Man uh, handled that kind of aspect of orphanage in a better manner than Aquaman did because it almost kind of flips that cliche, that princess cliche on its head where like the 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 woman is what gets him out of the funk that he's in where you have pepper pots and you have what's her name Mira kind of Mira yeah taking Mira, it back yeah, yeah. Uh, she's taking Aquaman back to like his roots i guess and Pepper is taking uh Tony back to his like humanity but it's done in a much more subtle way with Iron Man, which is just the better movie, definitely. But um, yeah, Aquaman is. I, I do think that you're you're uh, um, climbing up the right tree in terms of it is an orphan story. But why is it an orphan story, or does it even follow any of the the beats that an archetype of the or- orphan would take on? I mean, my two cents on that is that basically the way you've described Iron Man, not just today, but in previous podcasts, is <laughs> it's almost as if they were trying to tell just a good story and everything else came out of that instead of, you know, rushing together eight characters who have no chemistry at all on screen and trying to put together a movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think you kind of get uh, you like on his one-off movie, you do get some character development and you get to see like where he's come from and why he's kind of like this big braggadocio type of guy. Um, I, I think he's like more entertaining than the first Iron Man. It's not a better movie, but it's, it's definitely in my eyes, a more lighthearted and fun um, retelling of the same orphan archetype. I mean, he is a, a, to a certain extent abandoned by his culture. Like he's, he doesn't know what it means to be an Atlantean um, because he's never been shown. Um, he's been trained by Willem Dafoe, but, but that's about it. So it, it was a, an interesting take. And I think it's something where he follows the same journey. Like it's the same beats of the story. Um, it's just a, a more fun ride. Probably. I mean, it's, it's not as well done well executed it doesn't stick with you but it, you enjoy it nevertheless <laughs> so kung, so aquaman is kung fu panda <laughs> yeah, yeah basically <laughs> yeah he's not given he's not given that knowledge until like way later and like, like he's an adult when he's actually given the knowledge of what's going on yeah. with his culture and what who he is 
Yeah, and I'm sorry, but the one thing that made me think that is both of them have foreshadowing of using an ultimate technique at the end of the movie. So at the beginning, you have William Defoe teaching him how to use water, how to do his water bending with yeah. the trident, and then Kung Fu Panda, you have him teaching how to teaching him how to use the wuxi finger, and then at the end, that's how they end up both conquering their nemesis at the end of both movies. So that's the first thing that popped in my head. I'm like, wow, these are the exact same movies. So it's just underwater Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> which is just uh pan- the panda version of black panther so is, is black panther the african version of kung fu panda <laughs> <laughs> yeah is this a trans is this a transitive property are, thing are we all just telling the same story i mean that, that's, well, that's just, pretty much this that's what this podcast is about it, it's all we're the trying same to get story. to the bottom of it That's a good, I really like that that take though. Aquaman is Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> I feel like you could take the beats of that story and kind of get the same, get to the same conclusion. And are there any other, like, as, now that we're, I guess, through with what we knew that we wanted to, to watch and probably didn't, are there any other ones that anyone is, has in terms of like what's come to mind in terms of orphans? So there was something, I mean, we had talked about that X-Men animated TV show and there was a version in there that we didn't discuss. We went through a couple like the last round and the one that we didn't talk about was Jubilee's foster parents. So first of all, she's an orphan and she's also with her foster parents actually call like the mutant registration service or whatever to get her taken away. It's like we didn't talk about parents who were like, get this kid out of my house. Most of it was like a loss from the child's perspective. Something taken away as opposed to something given away. Yeah. Yeah, that's a rough one. I mean, Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think I of another Kevin example so much. of that. Other than like Moses, whose mom puts him in the river and sends him downstream, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's I, still, I just, that's, that's. That's, That's more, more along of the a, lines of like Superman and Goku from Dragon Ball Z, right? Where like the parents yeah, are doing yeah, yeah. the child. Well, you just touched on two like was, pretty big things. Hers was unique in that she's aware, like she's not a baby. She's aware enough to understand like my parents are trying to give me away. For no other reason, just because they don't want her as opposed to for the betterment of her life as a human yeah. being. Yeah, that's where I would say like Jubilees is a little different than those other ones because there there's still a greater good behind the other between like Superman, Moses and Goku versus, and I never thought I'd use all three of those in the same comparison. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and then um, Jubilee versus they're doing it for their own personal benefit because they think they're better without their mutant daughter. Well, she yeah, had also broken the DPR like a dozen times. Yeah, she broke yeah, the VCR. That'll do it. She broke the VCR. <laughs> she broke the arcade games. Yeah, she did a bunch. She broke a bunch of that stuff. But like, uh, it's that's really dark because it's the same idea of the guy that goes to the middle of the woods to drop off a dog that he doesn't want anymore, as opposed to just like bringing it to a shelter. Like you could understand that um, Cyclops went to. Uh, 
School for Gifted Mutants as a resource that was like dropped off by his parents as opposed to Jubilee <laughs> just getting shipped off like who cares about this kid that's why like I yeah it's hard it's hard for me to think of another story that that follows that that formula that's really dark <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to Jubilee I like I didn't realize that connection until we had, like I could have watched that show another dozen times and never would have made that connection until we started talking about it. And I was like, they really just tried to like get rid of her. That's got to be like, like for, I can't for think her of anything else and how bubbly she is in like the, at least the animated series. That's a really dark origin story. Yeah. And that was on the animated series. That's like. Yeah, that's wild. Oh, that's I like think it's 1990 either, as well. Like they were a little more flexible with that kind of stuff. It's either the middle of episode one or like the beginning of episode two, like right out of the gate. I, I think because there's not other examples of it, it's kind of hard to identify what would be the archetype of that kind of orphan. Like there's nothing else to compare it to, but. What would, come, what would come yeah. out of Quasimodo? Hunchback of Notre Dame, right? Got dropped Ooh. off. I mean, if we're going well, down to Hey Arnold. Arnold. Hey Arnold. Did he, I don't think he's still alive. Were they? They just dropped him off at his yeah. grandparents. Yeah, there was a movie about it. He found his parents. That's pretty ridiculous. What about the, the bad hunchback in, in 300? <laughs> Like, they literally threw him Ooh. off a cliff, right? Oh, yeah. They thought he was supposed to die, and he ended up surviving because he was not wanted. Yeah. Because there were so many rotting babies that it was a soft landing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. No, it was like his, his parents, like, took him into the woods and, like, raised him. So that wouldn't match up. Because, but they didn't really get rid of him. It was, like, the society that didn't want him. Yeah, which basically I, just leads us into segregation. Like, I can't think of another like true Jubilee story. That one's really dark. Like, that's hard to put on screen. <laughs> that's hard to put in any in any context. Like, even I don't know Romulus and Remus. Oh, it, we were already talking about that as a a, a brother thing. Or the sibling. I gotta say, every time you bring that up, I just go straight to Star Trek. Which is why? The Romulan Empire? Like, their planets are Romulus and Remus. Oh. Yeah, nerd alert. I cannot think of I'm I'm like racking my brain to try and think of another version of someone giving like a character that that is because Jubilee is not a main character but as I don't know main of a character as you can get you would think that would be you mean in the way that like she's cast off right like a a character that's cast off yeah um, I was trying to find an equivalent in like X twenty three in Logan. 
But no, there were still people that cared about her. Yeah, it was. He was like, still trying to get her to the border. Uh, what, about bl- what about Blindside? Was Sandra Bullock? Yeah. Oh, the story about that LSU kid, the football player. Yeah, like didn't didn't the mom? Oh, just, like, his parents just like nah. Something like that. Oh, this here. Here we go. This is us. Who's watching that? Uh, e- Randall. E- but that's like a Moses story. Well, I was right? thinking of. Well, I wasn't thinking of Randall. I was thinking of the daughter that Randall takes in. Because that mom is just like, nah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have got it. Eminem in 8 Mile. Pretty good. Pretty good. Like, I think they end up making up at the end, but she starts that movie basically like throwing him out of the place. Well, I mean, he did write Cleaning Up My Closet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean that. That's I think the only one. It's probably as as dark, or just as as pre- prevalent, or like I don't know. There's nothing that as prominent as Jubilee, and Jubilee isn't even like I said. She's like a side character. She's not, she's a part of a a team, but she's not like I don't know why there's not more stories like that 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 seems like a good story so i'm just like online right now just looking 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 voldemort Ooh. so apparently that's a good one yeah so his father left him after his mother died of during childbirth and like that drove him i guess to to be a bad guy because the first thing he did once he got enough power was to kill his dad Tyrion. No, no, he leaves though. Yeah, and and that's almost like a it's a tragedy because he's forced to do it, you know? Like, even the way it was, well, I don't know, I never read the books, but at least in the show, like, you could see on his face that he wasn't happy about doing it, but he had to. Oh, no, in the books, it's the same. The books is the same. In the books, even more so, I think. Because you know what he's thinking? Yeah, are and also he doesn't shake the What wildly? Are the or wildlings like, the orphans? Like, they're the orphan generation who was neglected and like left to die. They'll be the ones to be able to start anew once uh, the White Walkers rule the world. I don't know. I don't know if I would I would consider them orphans. I mean, I think going back to like being like an like an outcast is and like the Atlantean thing we were talking about, like how he doesn't know what it means to be part of that society. I mean, the wildlings were basically orphaned from, culturally from the rest of Westeros. But they have a their own society. Like you're not an, like you have your own society and culture as a wildling, like but that maybe that, after they come through the wall, then they're orphans of their own culture. Cause they're living in a place that is different. 
But if you're on the other side of the wall when it's built, yeah, that's interesting and all, but you're still the same people and you still have your culture that develops separate from what's below the wall. So I've got two others that I thought of. The first one being um, the knights in Clive Owen's King Arthur, whose parents like have to actually send them away to it's a it's an alternative take on it but like their parents have to send them away to go serve the roman army and so they are like given away essentially and then of course uh, well similar situation but like the the parent sending the child away would be a knight's tale yeah still that's still in in the best uh, benefit for the the child, though, like that, that's in the best interest of the child. It, it's well, not. Well, I think we might be mi- like you might be missing the fact that like, yeah, what's best for the child is what's best for the child in hindsight. But that that doesn't mean the child doesn't experience the feelings of abandonment when when that happens, no matter how young they are. I mean, once you realize that, that was like Very your true. your story, um, there, there's got to be a sense that comes over you, like why? Well. Why wasn't I kept? Well, at the same time, oh. I don't think Jubilee would be hearing boys are back in town on the way back to where her parents <laughs> lived. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it definitely, I, I get what you're saying, but there's definitely something on top of that that makes it easier to deal with. Cause you always have that, even if it's so far from you that you can't contextualize it. There's always that idea like, man, it's going to be awesome when I finally have the ability to go back. And for someone like Jubilee in that scenario, like you don't even want to, like, it's not even a thought in your head. Like you never want to see this person again. Well, and so the, even if you do, the examples I keep thinking of are in the X-Men universe. So I went in that same cartoon, uh, Prometheus is like shipped off to Muir Island and, it's in the best interest of the child, but like he just turns into a crazy person because he's locked in a room, like getting experimented on. So you say experimented one that I thought of, and I don't know if it fits the, like, I don't know if it fits the whole orphan thing, but it, it kind of does in a literal sense. Um, y'all remember Caesar from planet of the apes? Yeah. 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 I see that one just because he was, Essentially, kind of the same thing. He wasn't. He was trying to struggle with who he was, and the only reason he was a cop, like started having that is because they made him smart enough to become self-aware. And then he struggled with that identity of uh, whoever James Franco's character was supposed to be of him being that adopted father. But essentially, him finding out that he was cast off by everyone as a whole because they were like, "Oh no, you're just a test subject monkey." And then him having to come to terms with the realization of like, "Oh no, everyone actually despises and hates me." And whereas he Jubilee had the Jubilee had the family and the uh, uh, I guess the place to go to that cared for her, Caesar had to come up that out of his own, and so he ended up like I almost see them being kind of the same thing, where they're both gifted in their own ways, but without the proper support system, you can see how one can become the hero and the other one can become the villain. Yeah, or or just like fortitude, like right? Because like Caesar had to come up with everything on his own. He had no support, but he was able to craft that support around himself and become the hero. I mean, at the end of the trilogy, like you're, you're rooting for Caesar. Yeah. 
No, I mean, I was rooting for Woody Harrelson. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was people becoming monkeys. What? Like there should have been, there should have been, there should have been like a, uh, I don't know, like a transformation ray that was found <laughs> where you shot like a person and they'd just become part of your monkey army. <laughs> I would have loved to see you, Woody Harrelson monkey. Now his death was, was pretty, uh, pretty intense. That was a good cinematic moment for me. Man, Andre, I'm kind of blaming you for bringing this this one to a halt. I'm still racking my brain trying to find <laughs> another instance of this ridiculous uh, character position. That's It's insane that and I so can't think of one. I'd suggest that we move on and then we all try and find one before next week. All right, I'm down with that. Well, real quick, uh, everyone that has an uh, idea that we're completely missing or has a, a, an example of, of this kind of character arc, please tweet. Uh, what's Josh's Twitter handle? I don't even know. I, can... <laughs> I thought you were going to just have him tweet Adrian with his like... Joshua Avalar? Your Josh handles that he has. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, we're not, we're yeah. not going to share. We're not going to share his. That that would dox him. He's a oh, dummy okay. and has right. his well, his real name on there. Please, please tweet at Flat Circle Podcast Gaistos Network eighty seventeen five zero four thirty six thirty six. Yeah, tweet at that. Twitter handle, which we will create after this episode. Is that uh, any examples that you yeah. have? You got, you got two marketing guys on here, and we don't have either that or a Facebook page. Good job, us. So we'll set up. We'll put it in the uh, the the notes on this podcast. Uh, tweet tweet at us your examples of of any any character who has an origin story as dark as Jubilee's from X Men. All right. So what are we getting into now? Then uh, I don't even know. That is the darkest orphan story that I think we can get off today. Uh, there's nothing else. I mean, like you could go like, like there's one, one worst story. I mean, Jesus, right? Like he didn't like send him to a better life. He sent him to like, I'm going to make sure it's worse off because I, I love these other people more than you. And not even that he sent him to hell. Like, <laughs> God is basically like, yeah, you got that, and you got all the temptations. You met the devil. Now we're gonna send you to the devil's home before you can come back. Like, that's I don't know if that's uh like tiger mom parenting or just <laughs> you know like because you could see you could see it. I mean, he like, sent to because he knew he could do it. So yeah, if you couldn't do it, then you're not my son. Like that's kind of the. <laughs> But I don't know. Him at the same time, I, it's so weird. Yeah, believe it in yourself. Also, man, what a wild ride for Joseph the Carpenter. Like, <laughs> what is he doing this whole time? <laughs> Greatest stepdad ever? I don't know. Do you really hear about him? Like, after. Like, you know, John the Baptist does his thing. Joseph ever show up again? 
I don't think you hear about him after Jesus is like 12 and schools the rabbis at his local synagogue. But then also throws fireballs at kids, right? Is that what he does? Uh, Have you guys not heard those crazy stories about like what he did in between? No. What? 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 Like he got mad as a kid and like threw fireballs at other kids. I'm like, what the? What? Basically, what he just like, teen <laughs> He's basically just like a an angsty ang from a uh, last airbender. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ang! Now that's an orphan. Now that is straight up an orphan. That's a hundred years of being an orphan. Like a hundred years removed from your entire culture. Now that's. That's, Did that's they ever talk about his parents? Well, I mean, isn't I it like think he the, straight up was an orphan? Like the the way that culture works, right? Like you, they give you to the monastery as soon as you show that you are an airbender. Yeah, you show promise. Yeah. So the Dalai Lama, like the real Dalai Lama, is, is he that, an orphan? Is well, that a real life orphan based story? On, <laughs> based on my learnings uh, by watching King of the Hill. Uh, they have to like select <laughs> the next one. It's like give it up at that point, right? Is well, that what wasn't he? Yeah. Wasn't he the target of like an extreme ex- assassination attempt from some male models, according to that documentary Zoolander? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we're off the rails, guys. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, this is a tough point. Yeah, we. We no, I, I I don't know if there's there's much else. Like I, I can see that there are def there are definitely uh, ends of the spectrum of being an orphan and what that entails. Um, I was trying to come out with like what is the most, and again, it's it's very just kind of uh, specific lens. What is most advantageous as a person? Um, and I guess that's that's subjective. Like you don't know what the success level is that you're gauging or trying to to measure by but like what what benefits do you have coming from that kind of perspective or coming from that kind of life um, where you don't have that structure or um, go to and we kind of touched on the fact that there's a cost benefit analysis that you have to do for each different version that you're tearing apart or building up Um, so yeah you 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 definitely get a different perspective on how people treat you and how you treat other people but at the same time you can be completely undone you can be the worst version of yourself as easily as you could be the best version of yourself by taking that structure away at such a young age or even when you're a fully formed human being adult person with all the things to your benefit and all the uh, advantages uh, that you could have you can still be really screwed up by just having stuff taken away from you like that. I don't know what else to, to, to harp on or, or to dive into. I've got a quick point we can end on here. All right. Last word. King of the Hill was actually accurate. The high llamas, as they are called, will assess the candidate against a set of criteria and will present the child with various objects to see if they can identify those which belonged to the previous Dalai Lama, which is exactly what Bobby Hill does in that episode. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm at a point where it's kind of uh, insane to me that two of my favorite comedy writers are the ones that have 
so much integrity that they've actually done stuff like this. So like Matt Groening is definitely one of them, but Mike Judge came up with a formula or Matt Groening formula from Futurama that is actually a formula that they came up with for Futurama. And then um, Mike Judge in Silicon Valley, um, another thing that happened because they were trying to calculate how many dicks they could jerk off in that one finale episode of the first season of Silicon Valley. Not sure if you've seen this, but the same thing happens where they, they actually calculate how long it would take to jerk off uh, as many dicks as they could in a certain amount of time. Leave it to Joseph to end on uh, jerking off dicks. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one there. <laughs> every time. Every time. I have huge respect for Mike Judge. Talk, teaching me about how many how many dicks I could jerk off. All right. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, we'll get to what we're going to talk about next week. Next week, um, we'll have better analysis for you about why this episode was the way it was, and we'll have a nice game plan for what we're going to talk about next. But to everyone out there, again, this has been Flat Circle from the Gaysless Podcast Network. Remember, be yourself just like everyone else, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>